Hello, welcome into the latest edition of ESPN FC. I'm Dan Thomas, joined the studio today by Ali Moreno and Stevie Nicol. 24 hours later, the talk of the town, of course, is still that extraordinary World Cup final that saw Argentina beat France on penalties. The lift that very, very important trophy, certainly when it comes to Lionel Messi's legacy. These were just some of the newspapers in Argentina. No surprise, it's their number 10 who is at the front and centre of every paper. We welcome a man who was at the World Cup, not important enough to do the final, but he's with us still. Ian Dark <laughs> joins us. <laughs> uh, Ian, I want to get to you in a moment, but Stevie, so many people have written to us concerned. Given what happened in the Dutch game, Argentina, 2-0 <laughs> up, in control. You chose that time to take the dog for a walk. I did. People are hoping you didn't do the same in the final. No, well, I mean, Haggis, he likes, he, he likes a routine. Right. So at 2-0, he came up yes. and started he uh, sensed, barking at me. He sensed it. But he got pushed away. I'm afraid it wasn't happening. How was it for you, Stu? I don't think I've ever seen a better final. Of any sort. Yeah. Never mind a World Cup final. The game that you think people or players and teams will be not scared but apprehensible of opening up and giving giving it away too early. But this was just, I mean, Argentina, as everybody said, for 75 minutes, absolutely dominated. It was, it was, where's France? Where's Mbappe? What's happened to this team? And of course, what? Five minutes later, it's 2-2. I mean, just incredible. And then from there, it never stopped. Chances, saves, goals, and then of course onto penalty kicks. I mean, it was just, just incredible to watch, and you couldn't take your eyes off it. You couldn't. It really was special, Ian, wasn't it? It was an absolute blockbuster. I'm struggling, and somebody's going to come up with an idea in a minute. But I'm struggling to think of a better game of football that I've ever seen in my life. And I've seen a lot of games of football that just about had everything in terms of drama and theatre, and it underlined really, despite all the debate and how we love the Champions League and the Premier League and, and all the other leagues uh, around the world, you can't beat the World Cup. It's just absolutely fantastic and what a, a crowning moment to have a final like that and a story like that with Messi at last winning a World Cup. Um, you know, <laughs> somebody said you couldn't write it. <laughs> Yeah, but you, you couldn't. What was strange as well that I've had people messaging. I'm sure you're the same. Who've got no interest in soccer, but just watched that game and wanted to talk about that extra time. I was at a, sat at a bar for lunch, mm. Coke, uh, and that's all everyone was talking about. Right. I, I don't even have to receive texts from people in order to get that feeling. I had that feeling in my own house, in the living room of my house. As I'm watching, we wake up, my son and myself, and we're watching. My other son, my youngest. Could not care less about soccer. And I, when I tell you he could not care less, I mean he could not care less. Yep. My wife, even though she's been around the game, doesn't know anything about the game. And in fact, actually resents the game because I think she <laughs> feels like he has taken her away from her family. So there you go. Let's not go too deep. <laughs> Sorry, babe. So th th here's the thing. They are sitting watching this as if it was life or death for them, for people that have no meaning and no connection to the game, to the point to where goals are happening, people are jumping over, open over coffee tables, and I'm having to tell people, you all got to calm down, bro. You got to calm down. I got to watch this. Can you all calm down? Everybody's freaking out around me, and I'm saying, we need to watch this game. And it's that emotion, and Ian just mentioned there, the World Cup. 
elicits that emotion, brings up that emotion, that passion, that feeling that, that you can't quite quantify, that you cannot describe, and yet you know it's there. And if we're feeling it thousands of miles yeah. away from the game, Imagine what those players are feeling. Imagine what those fans were feeling. Imagine taking a penalty kick in that environment. Imagine the magnitude of the moment. And for players to be able to deliver on the storylines coming into the match is what made it so very special. That the storylines, there are always storylines coming into finals. But usually, players don't deliver on those storylines in the manner in which they did in this game. It was unforgettable, is the way I would say. Unforgettable. I, th I think in some ways... The fact that it was in Qatar and all the furor surrounding it brought a lot of people to watch the World Cup that wouldn't normally, just to see what it was all about. And of course, when that happens and then the players deliver on the field, all of a sudden you've got a new audience. Hmm. I mean, you know, you're talking about your sons. My grandson never, my grandson couldn't tell you the shape of a, of a football. <laughs> but he gets his brains after his granddad. They're sitting, well, they're sitting in school with their phones on watching it in the class, and the teacher's yeah. telling everybody to get their phones off because they're watching the World Cup. I mean, that's mental. Ian, what I thought was striking as well, when it comes to football, England is quite insular in the sense that we're the greatest, the Premier League's the greatest, we don't really pay much, too much attention to what else is going on. But the front page, as well as the back page, and most of the newspapers today in England were all about the final as well. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you can say that about... I, I hear this about English arrogance, but, you know, I think that England squad are the most ego-free group of players you'll ever <laughs> find. But, I mean, that's, that's a sidebar. That's a sidebar to everything because, you know, like many, many countries all over the world, England is in an ardent love affair with the game of football. And if you did not enjoy that game, you are definitely never, ever going to like the game because it, it was a game that had everything. And I'll tell you another point. We, we've been discussing on this program, haven't we? Arsene Wenger's idea, backed by a few other people, influential people, to have the World Cup every two years. No, no, and no, no again, because... It's the rarity value of the World Cup that makes it so special as well. So leave it just as it is. I know it's going to be expanded to 48 teams, and hopefully they'll come up with some sensible format that keeps four team groups, because a lot of the drama in that World Cup was because of the amount of jeopardy of two teams dropping out in every group. Uh, there were so many different moments within that match, Ian. For you, which was the standout one? Oh, no question at all. The second Argentinian goal. And I bet you, Stevie and Ali as well, and probably you as well, Dan, I just jumped out of my seat at the beauty of that goal. One-touch football from deep in their own half. Every pass had to be perfectly weighted, and every pass was perfectly weighted. And then Di Maria, who deserved a goal for his scintillating display on the wing, puts it in. That is one of the great team goals ever scored, not just at the World Cup, in football. Why are you, Steve? Which was the moment? Uh, the moment for me has to be the what, 122nd minute? Emmy mm -hmm. Martinez. Emmy Martinez. Mm -hmm. And I've heard a lot of people saying that, that Munei should have scored, but I actually don't see it that way at all. I see it as a save. Because the kid's done exactly what the textbook tells you to do. He's one-on-one -on -one with a goalie. It's a clean volley. He's not panicked. He's not ballooned it over the crossbar. He's not, 
he's had composure, he's picked his spot. Again, the textbook tells you, hard and low into the bottom corner, because that's the worst place the goalie wants it. It's the last place the goalie wants it. And of course, Martinez comes up with that save. I mean, it's not a fluke. He's, he's, he made himself big, and then he reacts to the shot. But then, <laughs> having screaming at the telly that he doesn't <laughs> score, yep. Argentina go up the other yeah, end. And Lautaro Martinez. And Lautaro Martinez nearly scores with the header. Just, he, he, he got in the box <laughs> too early. He couldn't get himself back out in time to redirect the header. But, I mean, that, that 30 seconds just encapsulated everything about this game and about the World Cup. It was so brilliantly special. Argentina, of course, as we mentioned, dominating mm. uh, the opening 75 minutes. We've asked you for some player ratings overall, uh-huh. Ali. I thought Emi Martinez might be higher, actually. <laughs> I, thought he, I, I thought he might get a 10, considering what he did in the penalty shootout and that save. Well, he did get a 9. I, I know, I know. But... Right? Okay, so it's not far off. And the reason that he doesn't get a 10, and Emiliano Martinez himself said it in a post-game interview as he was in tears, that he was disappointed in the fact that he gave up three goals with three shots on goal by France. And so if he's disappointed, who am I to take it away from him? So instead of a 10, he gets a 9. The back line was really, really good for long periods of time, but they got really disconnected in the end, and that's why they all get sevens across the board. I would say that the midfield for Argentina for 75 minutes, they were... Excellent, outstanding, one of a kind, special, but it was only for 75 minutes, and so they lost control. That's why they don't get 10s across the board, they get 9s. Di Maria does get a 10 because he wasn't involved in part of that midfield. He had come off the, off the field at that point, and I thought he was a critical piece of their success yesterday because he gave them an additional outlet, and an outlet that was productive in the attack. The level of activity of Julian Alvarez gives freedom to Lionel Messi to do everything that he does. And Lionel Messi, of course, comes up with a 10 because he delivered in the biggest moment of his career. Ian, were you surprised how good Argentina were for so much of this game? Yeah, I I was. But you could see it, I think, in the semi-final. They'd been quite unconvincing in the group. They'd even lost the game against Saudi Arabia. But in the classic way, they got better as the tournament went on. And I think you could see that a special performance was coming from them in the semi-final. And then in the final, you know, a lot of people said, oh, France, uh, maybe the virus in the camp is worse than we thought. Well, a virus was Argentina because, (laughs) you know, the way that... The way that they played, not only when they had the ball in that dynamic way, creating chances all the time, and with Di Maria running riot, they were so good when they didn't have the ball uh, at getting it back quickly, and they just bossed that game for, for 80 minutes. I mean, I think as, as brilliant as France's comeback was, uh, and Mbappe, of course, in particular, it would have been a travesty had Argentina not won because they absolutely played France off the park for most of the afternoon. Who surprised you, Stevie, from that Argentina team? McAllister. Mm-hmm. It, it, it kind of looks, when you watch Brighton playing, they look as though they're all the same. They're just nice footballers. But you kind of got to see a different personality of McAllister in this World Cup. Right. You kind of got to see a guy who actually has got a drive about him. A guy who can pick a pass as well. Not, not, just, not just passing the ball sideways and five-yard passes. He absolutely did everything. Which I don't think he, I've seen him do. Maybe I just wasn't looking for it at Brighton. 
because maybe that's why he's actually in this team because he does do it for Brighton but I just didn't see it but, but for me no question he was the biggest surprise of that Argentina side for me well, What about you Ali? Well McAllister is an obvious name in that is the best example of a player who elevates his game in the World Cup. That the World Cup has that effect on some players. Some players are pushed down by, by the pressure. Some are elevated. And in this case, McAllister did that and more for Argentina. I would also say Enzo Fernandez was a player who not even Scaloni thought would have this sort of impact for this team. Because given... given what Argentina's start to the tournament had been. They had to make changes, and Enzo Fernandez was one of those changes. And man, did he take advantage of the opportunity. That midfield for Argentina for 75 minutes against France was unstoppable, untouchable. They were elite-level sort of performance. What about that Messi chap, Ian? Not bad? <laughs> well, he's, he's from another planet, isn't he? I mean, I, I wouldn't bet against him carrying on till he's 39. Everybody said it was his farewell World Cup appearance. But, uh, you know, he just wanders around there doing nothing, doesn't he? Or appearing to do nothing. But he's doing a reconnaissance mission the whole time. He's spotting where the gaps are. And then, you know, the way he just exploded into the game. Obviously, he's the star and the rest of them, or most of the rest of them, are the chorus line. But... Uh, what a star, and I think he deserves this, doesn't he? At, at the end of what he's given to, to football these, this last decade and more, he, he deserves this. Quick shout-out to uh, Angel Di Maria. Yeah. A player who we didn't, didn't think <laughs> would be in the final. Mm. Not only was he in the final, but starting and having the role that he had. And if we go back to 2014, if you remember, Angel Di Maria was unable to play the final because of an injury. What a moment this must have been for him. Scoring a game winner in Copa America final at Maracaná and then having this sort of performance in the final in the World Cup. Great moment for him and for Argentina. Messi the best ever? I'm sorry, not for me. Hmm? No? I, I, I just think that Maradona... Had Maradona played in the same time as Messi with the same freedom that Messi gets... I just don't see him messy being. Now oh, listen, we're talking about we're talking about two. Yeah, I mean, I mean they're just they're cut from the same cloth. But I think of when Maradona played. You mean like protection? Oh, Maradona had to jump six foot to get away from challenges every single time he stepped on the field, and and he missed a lot of his career with injury because of that. You know, the, the famous butcher of Bilbao broke his ankle. Yeah. So, you know, for me, Messi has been able to play in a time where those kind of things weren't allowed. I, I, I just think Maradona was just that little touch better than Messi. But uh, Ian, I know you've never been asked this before, but what do you think? <laughs> well, I think we're all forgetting another chap, aren't we? Pele. He won the World Cup three times, so you know, he's, he's in the mix as well. I mean, it's very difficult to compare across generations because as Stevie was saying Maradona played in an era where there weren't as many yellow and red cards and people tried to kick him off the park and all that wonderful control that he had was on terrible pitches a lot of the time you could see that in that in that documentary about him the surfaces weren't great I mean particularly the one uh, the Azteca you know, in the, in the 1986 final. So he had to put up with a lot of different things. They're all great players, aren't they? Yeah. And Messi is definitely part of that pantheon. Yeah. Um, 
let's talk about the other end of the spectrum, shall we? Mm. France. Mm. Uh, you don't play ratings for France as well? I sure did. Uh, let's take a look. Who's getting the brunt? Who's getting the lowest uh, mark? Oh, the midfield. Uh, oh, and Dembélé. Goodness me. <laughs> well, he almost got an incomplete because he did not make it to halftime and neither did Giroud. Now, for Giroud, it's different in terms of what he did or was unable to do because France hadn't been all that good and he depends from players around him putting service into the box. That wasn't happening. He was taken off. Of course, he gets a low mark. Dembele, of course, he gets a low mark as well. Surprising to me that I had to give a low mark to a player who uh, up until this point had been critical to their success, Antoine Griezmann. He gets a three because he disappeared. Quite frankly, he disappeared. When you were expecting him to be the outlet from France, he was not. Rabiot and Chouameni could not get a hold of the ball for 75 minutes, and so therefore they, they get threes as well. Uh, the back line, and you, it varies four, five, and sixes, some better than others. I thought that Varane gave everything that he could possibly give for France to the point to where his last challenge basically took him out of the game in tears because he could not physically go on any longer. And Mbappe, usually a hat-trick in a final will secure a 10. In a World Cup final now. Absolutely. <laughs> he gets an 8 for this very reason. Part as to why Argentina was able to dominate through the midfield in the manner in which they did was his unwillingness to help his team defensively, which created a mismatch and an unbalance that Argentina simply took advantage of. So for 75 minutes, I'm not just evaluating the last 30 minutes of the game. No, no, no. I have to go to the first 75 minutes. And what would his grade have been up until that point? Very, very low. After that, he scores a hat-trick, and so therefore, he jumps up to an eight. Who disappointed you in his France team? Most of them. Right. <laughs> I mean, it's not... I don't think you can pick one out. Were they set up to fail then by Deschamps? I don't think so. I, I, I honestly believe that... This bug that they had had to come into play here. But where was the bug once once they got those two goals? Well, it's like because the bug it disappeared. Well, Dan, you can be lying half asleep, and I'll give you an injection of whatever, and then all of a sudden you're. Well, I don't think anyone. I don't think anyone having an injection. You're the energizer bunny. <laughs> I mean, to to be at your best, you have to be physically and mentally there. Right. And clearly, physically, they weren't there. And when you get that surge of energy from the goal that they got, right. that's what carried them through. The natural adrenaline. Correct. Yes. That's what, that's what carried them through. There was one thing that I thought Deschamps could have done, though. I thought that instead of, with what, five minutes to go or something, bringing on, was it Dassi he brought on? Why wouldn't you bring on Mandanda? Right. When it's going to penalties. Because you look at Martinez and the Argentina goal... He's a monster, he's big, his big eyes are staring at you, he's kicking the ball away, he yeah. wants you to throw it at your nose, yes. he's doing everything, and then you look at your ease and it looks like a drowned rat standing yeah. in the goal. He's never made a save in a penalty shootout. Not as he never made a save. I, I he looks some, like a what? A drowned rat. <laughs> so that's not good. No, it's not good. <laughs> okay. He, he actually came out, I, I, I read that he came out and said that he wasn't very good at saving penalties. Right. So why are you leaving him in the goal for a penalty shootout? Yeah. Get, my, get anybody in. Right. As opposed to somebody who's not very good at saving penalties. That, that's the one thing. Other than that, I thought that was a bit harsh on Deschamps. Right. Because he did make some changes. 
that in the end almost won the cup for them. Uh, yeah. And that was he, a short space of time. I know, but he but, ha- he had to make the changes because he didn't quite get it right to begin with. Yeah, but you still got you know to, to make two changes in the first half. That's right, that's, but that's but that's a referendum in the initial decision half, that you made. Ali, half full or half empty. Uh-huh. How about how about some players don't play very well? We can't do anything about the manager. Can't do anything right. about that. Stevie, you know the manager a, can't do anything about that. As a former manager, you know that if you're willing to make those changes in the 40th minute, it's because you were already thinking about this before the game even started. No. Okay. No. Uh, Ian, were you surprised how flat France were? Yeah. Very surprised. I, I just wondered. It's a funny thing that happens in tournaments. I think we saw it with Brazil in, in the 1998 final. I know there was all the business about Ronaldo in the background going on there. But I think sometimes teams can get to the final and they've expended all their emotional energy. Um, the fact that Argentina were playing so well and so dynamically was the biggest reason, I think. But yeah, they were flat and they just couldn't find a way into the game. And I think you know, when Deschamps made those changes before half-time and you saw Giroud's furious reaction, I mean, it's humiliating, isn't it? You're picked for the World Cup final and you're hooked before half-time, him and Dembele. But that was a sign that, that Deschamps knew that they were being played off the park and had to do something or try to do something about it. As it happens, nothing really happened until around the 80th minute and Otamendi makes that foul uh, they get the penalty and, and France suddenly, you know, the doors are jar for them and they come to life in the way that Stevie described. But, um, yeah, it was a bit of a mystery. I don't think it was the bug, really. I mean, it, I suppose it was a bit of a, a factor. I just think they, they'd kind of got to the end of the tournament and didn't have a lot left. What mark would you give the referee? This was a very difficult final to referee because there were many instances in which he could have taking a different decision, a different direction, be a little bit more uh, strict with how he was dealing with the cards, emotional game as it was. I'm going to say this guy was somewhere in the seven or eight category in terms of his performance. This wasn't easy to do. And one of the big things that he had to get right at the very beginning is what do we do with the physicality and the messages, early messages that were being sent by Argentina to anybody for France that was about to touch a ball. They were right there and they were ready to tackle. So how do you handle that? Because you can't just throw people off the field left and right to begin the match. And so handling those moments early on and waiting for the game to settle down or allowing the game to settle down and then allowing the teams to take over, I thought was something very positive from the referee's perspective. Lequipe, the main French newspaper, came out and gave him two out of 10. Who won the game? Well, yes, that's true. Oh, right. oh yeah. You think it's just sour grapes? Oh, God. I, I, I'm, I'm sorry. You, you, you can argue whether some of his decisions should have been yellow cards or not. Right. What you can't argue is he did exactly the same thing for both sides. Neither side can turn around and say that they were targeted, that they should, uh, the other team should have gotten more yellows and all that nonsense. And so you have to give them credit. Because without 11 v 11, we don't get this game. If we end up an extra time with, with 10 v 9 or whatever, right. it becomes a nonsense. And the fact that the referee let players make physical challenges added to the game. The one thing that we miss 
in my opinion, the most of the time, in all the leagues around the world, is the physicality. The physicality, too much of it has been taken out. Unfortunately, over the last 12, 18 months, it seems to have been come sneaking back in, which is fantastic. And I think the final epitomised that, that you saw class, you saw ability, but you saw some desire and some physicality as well. Every single thing you want when you're either watching it or whether you're playing it. Two out of ten harsh on the referee from Lakeep's point of view, Ian? Oh, I think absolutely ridiculous. Ridiculous. I thought he was outstanding. He was brave. He made the right decisions on all the penalty decisions. And what a fantastic piece of refereeing near the end of the game when Turam tries to buy a penalty by hooking his leg around the... Uh, around the foot of one of the Argentinian defenders, goes down and he books him for diving. Turam got up. He didn't complain about it, did he? He knew what he'd been trying to do. I thought that was absolutely fantastic. That was so easy to get wrong. Uh, Marciniak, a former player, by the way, was that referee, and I'd have given him 9 out of 10. I think most Argentinian fans would agree with you as well, Ian. Of course, they line the streets. Well, that just doesn't really sum it up. Take a look at this drone shot that obviously has gone viral. Hundreds of thousands of fans taking to the streets to celebrate Argentina sealing, of course, that third World Cup, the first one since 1986. Imagine being there. Imagine the party. Well, we're joined by a man who, uh, who was uh, Joel Richard who, in fact, is a good friend of mine. Uh -huh. Such a good friend, he moved to Argentina. <laughs> as far away as possible. Uh, to work as a, a journalist there. Uh, Joel, just try and put into context what the last 24 hours has been like in Buenos Aires. Absolute chaos, a carnival, a party. I mean, you said tens of thousands on the street, Dan. We've had... There have been estimates it's been a million people who came out onto the streets. We've had real emotional outpouring of people um, that we've seen at the, at, you know, the end of the, well, during the game, obviously. I mean, as we've just been discussing how emotional, how dramatic the, the final was. But there's been an emotional overtone in Argentina throughout the, the competition because going into the World Cup, there was just such huge expectation and importance placed on the World Cup for them for a number of different reasons. You've got the fact that it was, it's probably Messi's last World Cup. We know he's going to carry on playing international football, but he, whether or not he'll make the next World Cup uh, it remains to be seen. But So there was this you know, sense that they needed to win it for, for Messi. A lot of Argentines won't t stop talking about the fact that it's the first World Cup since Diego Maradona passed away. And so that's, you know, you talk to people about Maradona here, people still work, they still start crying when you start, when they tell the stories about him, things that, the way that he made them feel when they saw him playing. So the first World Cup since Maradona died, probably the last for Messi. You've got a lot going on as well in terms of uh, you know, the situation of people's lives in Argentina. We've got 90% inflation here on an annual basis, 90%. You know, people are having a hard time of it. And on top of that, they love their football as well. They're very passionate about the football. So, um, and then on top of that, you've got the, the Copa America win. You've got the 36-match unbeaten run going into the World Cup. So there's huge expectation that they could, they could do well, they should do well. And, and, and there was the, you know, this idea, this sentimental idea, if you like, they've got Maradona looking down on them from above, but, but still the feeling that you know, Diego was going to give them that, that helping hand. And you know, a lot of people just feel really close to this, this, uh, this Argentina team because it's, we talked about you know, Messi and Di Maria, um, but some of the surprise players, the players that probably were on the edge of the, edge of the squad, some of the, Enzo Fernandez wasn't a definite to come into the squad um, just a few weeks before the tournament. Lo Celso, uh, Giovanni Lo Celso 
gets injured and that forces Scaloni to change his hand and they lose to Saudi Arabia and he has to make changes. So he ends up with Alexis McAllister, Enzo Fernandez, Julian Alvarez, three players who are, what, 21, 22, 23. They were all playing in Argentina less than a year ago. And so people feel very close to them. It's not that these are players who have emigrated at a young age and they haven't really seen play up close and um, you know, in stadiums here for, for a number of years. They, they feel really close to the national team. So, as I said, there's a lot going on, there. a lot of reasons then for people to, uh, to have reacted the way that we saw. A million people on the street, absolute party. Tomorrow there's the victory parade. The player's going to take the cup around Buenos Aires. Uh, so we're going to probably see similar scenes to the ones you just showed there from that drone uh, tomorrow as well. Did anyone go to work today, Joel? (laughs) (laughs) Tomorrow is the public holiday. Today, everyone was meant to be back. But, um, I mean, it was just astonishing, Dan, to see how, you know, for hours after the penalty shootout ended, people continued to just congregate either on the obelisk, which is that big monument in Buenos Aires that we saw there, which is the central point, but also just in squares, just in, in neighbourhoods around, around the city, around, around Argentina. Everyone just took to the streets just to celebrate this you know, remarkable achievement. Third World Cup, the first for, for Lionel Messi and everything that Messi means for people as well. You know, you go to the park, you go to, just go out on the street here in Argentina. All the kids have got Messi's shirt. There's, I mean, there's that clip that's done the rounds of the Argentine journalist finishing an interview telling him how much everyone loves him and how, how, what, how important he has been for the country. I know some people have thought whether a journalist should be doing that or not, but she totally captured the mood of what everyone, if they had the chance, would say to Messi because he's transformed the way people feel. And now he's finally delivered on that World Cup and, and given people that, that joy, that happiness that a lot of people simply feel they don't have in their day-to-day life. So if you were to walk to the streets, Joel, and ask those million people, Maradona or Messi, where are we at? I asked a lot of people this question, and, it, and it, I mean, it depends a lot on the generation. So the older yeah. generation, uh, yeah, people above the age of, what, 50 or so, they, they'll still lean towards Maradona, um, and then obviously the younger generation towards Messi. But most people will say, look, now he's got the World Cup. I mean, that's it. We just need to stop arguing about this because they both won a World Cup. They were both fantastic, and they're both just products uh, of different, very different times. Steve, uh, Steve was talking about earlier about the, the, you know, the refereeing, the, the, what Maradona had to put up with as a player, and, and how Messi was able to uh, really unleash all of his. He has been able to unleash his talent to a different extent, and there is that element, of course. But and then there's the, the personality as well, Maradona with his feistiness and his and his, you know, his all his comments, all his political views. Messi's clean living. He's he's still married. He's you know he loves his family. He just Posts pictures on Instagram of him drinking his his mate, his tea with his with his family at home. So very clean living. So there's that element of it. But when it comes to the sport, I think everyone has just said, look, they're both Argentine. Let's enjoy it. Let's stop arguing over who was the best. Where did you watch it, Joe? What was it like, like seeing everybody go through all these emotions? I, I didn't get to see it. I still haven't seen it f- fully uh, live <laughs> Wait, because we were, <laughs> because, but because we were out, we were out filming everyone watching it. We were looking for reactions. So for a news piece, we were doing. So we were, we were out on the streets, and it was amazing just to see the extent that the, the lengths that people went to try and uh, you know hear it on the radio. People huddled like we had sort of fifty, hundred people huddled around one radio trying to listen in, or people uh, who wanted to be at the obelisk for the celebrations, which they expected were going to take place. So they all congregated there. But then as a result, cell phone coverage just dropped. So no one was able to see the game on, on YouTube. So people were cramming around you know, pizzerias and bars trying to get a glimpse of the screen. And, uh, and then, you know, there'd just be this ripple effect where someone starts cheering because they've heard a goal and then everyone else starts cheering and then running around. And we went out at halftime with Argentina 2 and up thinking, right, this is going to finish in the next hour. We need to get all the shots. And, and then everyone's face is just, you know, the, the, um, the, the first goal goes in and I was like, it's OK, we'll just hold on. And then 90 seconds later, everyone's 
it's going to extra time. So a real emotional roller coaster. I mean, we saw people praying. We saw people on their knees. We put a lot of people crying, a lot of people crying and pacing around as they listened in. Um, so, but I mean, you know, as we've just said, a wonderful final and everywhere, wherever anyone was able to follow it. Um, it was a fabulous experience. And as we said then, just a huge party, street party uh, kicked off and, uh, and hasn't really stopped since. Joel, we, you showed, um, I think we showed the video earlier of the lady collapsing onto her knees, as you were saying. Mm. This is kind of a, a, a common sight around. What was it like to be there when this is happening? Well, I mean, goosebumps, because you just see what it means to people. I mean, this is, so this video I, sh- I shoot, you've got the obelisk, that big monument that you see in the drone footage, about 50 metres to the left. And behind the woman, you see everyone suddenly descending on the obelisk because everyone's rushing there to get there into position. And this woman was with, uh, with her kids, and you see the kids get, get moved forward, and they haven't seen that she's dropped to her, her knees. And they then rush back just to have this embrace and, uh, and, can, and follow on. Um, and then all of a sudden, the, to where everyone's standing there in the middle of that drone shot is the, is the, the Metro bus, the bus that, that you know, channels through the, through the town. Everyone's suddenly climbing up onto lampposts, uh, wherever they could just to get a better view um, and, to, and to just to join in the party and see, see what was going on. Um, so, I mean, a range of emotions, as we said. And then a lot of people as well, you know, I talked about the economic situation here as well, but also, you know, people, a lot of people talk to me about what they went through in the pandemic. You know, people have lost, I mean, parents, brothers, sisters, um, and everyone, that came to everyone's mind when they were out celebrating. So, you know, as I said, it, there's a, on the sporting side of things, this means a huge amount to, to everybody. And there's a lot of other stuff going on behind the scenes as well. How on earth are they going to organise the parade tomorrow, Joel? <laughs> oh. Uh-oh. Yeah. Well, well, yeah, there's a few things going on. I mean, on the one hand, they're not going to stop. They're not going to get off. There was a talk about maybe they were going to go to the Casa Rosada, which is the government house in the very heart of Buenos Aires. That's not going to happen. It's just going to be a parade. They're just going to drive through Buenos Aires. But, I mean, it's a great question. I think the, what they're trying to do is make sure that people don't just all go to the obelisk, as happened on Sunday, because otherwise, yeah, they'll just get stuck there and they'll never be able to get out. So it's going to be fascinating. But, I mean, we're going to have all these great shots of just people lining the streets uh, cheering on cheering on the on the national team and and for everybody here as we said you know these are all players who, who now a lot of the young and as we said they left quite recently Argentina but they're still players who are you know now playing for the likes of Manchester City they're playing in Spain and in Italy they've got the World Cup for, so for people here it's the opportunity it's the one opportunity to to really show the national team what it means to them and and to see them up close so um so tomorrow's gonna be a lot of fun as well for sure Thank you very much. Probably best it wasn't England in the final, yeah? Uh, uh, 100%. It would have been a very different, very different tone if it had been England. So, uh, so yeah, that's, that's a relief. Uh, Joel Richards, uh, thank you very much for joining us. Good luck tomorrow. Uh, just a reminder, the latest edition of the Gavin Jules podcast recapping that extraordinary World Cup final is available now over on the website. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't a search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work, use Indeed for scheduling, screening and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. 
And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash FC. Just go to Indeed.com slash FC right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on the podcast. Indeed.com slash FC, terms and conditions apply, need to hire, you need Indeed. Did you know less than 10% of Americans own an e-bike? Here's why that should change. Studies show e-bike owners actually end up exercising more, plus getting outside more. If you're looking for a balanced lifestyle and everyday adventures, you need to check out Electric e-bikes. They are the number one selling e-bike brand in America. Their bikes are typically foldable, pre-assembled, and have serious range up to 150 miles on some models. Check them out today at electricebikes.com and add some more adventure to your week. That's L-E-C-T-R-I-C-E-Bikes.com. ESPN FC on ESPN Plus is presented by the all-new Honda CRV Hybrid. <laughs> Ian Dark, well, look at his glasses. There's a lot going what? on there. I'll say that's rivaling Julesy's picture. Wow. Wow. It's given us the wow. team uh, of the tournament. Uh, talk, talk us through it, Ian. Well, um, I can't believe you've dug up that picture again. <laughs> I quite like it. Anyway, um, yeah. right, yeah, well, I think everybody agrees on Emmy Martinez in goal, penalty heroics, and the brilliant save near the end, etc., etc. Hakimi, fantastic for Morocco. John Stones, well, some people will argue, I thought he didn't put a foot wrong in this World Cup and was elegant itself. Guardiol. Superb young defender for Croatia. Even if Messi showed him up once, he was brilliant the rest of the tournament. Now, there's the interesting selection, I suppose, for a lot of people. The best left-back I saw in the tournament was this lad, Aziz Behic, who plays for Dundee United and Australia. And I can't think of anyone who played at left-back who was better than him in the tournament. Um, Enzo Fernandez and Amrabat of Morocco, who was outstanding, couldn't improve on those two, and I think those two even keep Modric out of this little lineup anyway. And the rest of them really, um, Messi and Mbappe, of course. Griezmann, okay, hooked in the final, but he did a lot to get France to that final. And Alexis McAllister, uh, the Brighton playmaker, who probably announced himself to the world at this tournament. Ali, what's your take on that eleven? Trying to not look at the photo more on yeah, the. Well, yes, it, it's very distracting. <laughs> Those glasses are amazing. They are fantastic. Um, I, I would, and, and this would be cheating a little bit, but I maybe just play with a back three and I, I try to shoehorn other people right. on the field. I, I think of a player like Onahi from Morocco and how good he was. So think about. Even, he, even though he had a slow start to the tournament, how critical to the success of Argentina was Rodrigo de Paul towards the end of the competition, how important he was not only in, in what he does as a player, but what he means to the team, what he represents to the team. So I would have liked to have seen him there. But obviously you only have 11 spots available, and so that, it's difficult. Julian Alvarez, well, what's his place? And Look, it, it's an impossible task. It, it really is, yeah. but... Argentina and their performance over the first 75 minutes of that final warrant a lot of players from that group to be included in the best 11. Mm. I'd probably, I'd probably change two. Okay. I would probably change Stones for Saiz. Mm. I think Saiz, just unfortunately, just it was too much for him. Right. Uh, but he didn't put a foot wrong, and, and maybe did more than Stones did. Uh, the other one, I would take Griezmann out. 
I don't see how you can not put Modric in. Mm. I mean, seriously. Yeah, yeah. Did, Can one. you tell me what he did wrong? But Griezmann took them to the final, didn't he? Like, he's sitting in the semi-final. Well, the final, I mean, he had a couple of good games, yeah. But if, right. if we're talking about from the first to the last minute, there was nobody better in the middle of the park than Modric. Right. Every single game he was up there somewhere. Mm. Yes, Griezmann had moments where he was just magic. You can't argue with that. But for consistency, I would, I would switch him and Griezmann. Uh, did you enjoy it, Ian? Did you enjoy the World Cup? Yeah, I did. I mean, you know, obviously it is a contentious uh, destination and you can argue, um, you know, that maybe the World Cup should never have been there. That's, I think, another issue. When it came down to it as a festival of football, um, it was fantastic. It was a great, it was a great World Cup. I think it was the best ever World Cup, but it was the best ever final. Uh, Ian will be back with us on Extra Time. We'll be talking about what that thing is behind him, I promise you. We'll be asking that and a lot more serious questions that you would expect on Extra Time over on our YouTube channel. Passion, drive and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights and more. Whether you're into speed, power or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. We all know breakfast is an important part of your day. But sometimes when you're traveling for business, you end up staying at a hotel that doesn't offer any. You know what happens? You grab a cup of coffee and skip the meal entirely. We've all been there. But if you book a room at La Quinta by Wyndham, you can enjoy their free bright side breakfast featuring delicious baked goods, fruit, eggs, yogurt, and waffles. And really, who doesn't want to start their day with a fresh, hot waffle? Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. Book direct at LQ.com. It's Stevie mentally prepared for the Carabao Cup. Oh, well, yeah, we got three games for you tomorrow, <laughs> including Newcastle against Bournemouth. On Wednesday, United take on Burnley, as well as Blackburn Forest, Charlton Brighton. Then what about Thursday, Stevie? City take yeah, on yeah. Liverpool. Uh, coverage for that game starts at 2.30 Eastern. Uh, the Carabao Cup, of course, now is very much the focus when it comes to domestic football. It's back with a bang, isn't it? And it's the start of a really busy period now, pretty much till the end of the season. And we knew this was always going to be the case, didn't we, Ian? This was always going to be a problem, how the managers were going to deal with it. But it's happening now, and it's going to be fascinating to see how it all plays out. Well, it is, isn't it? And particularly, say, Tottenham Hotspur and, and, and Aston Villa. You know, you've got Romero coming back. If he ever gets back from all those celebrations at Buenos Aires, I, I don't know how, when they're going to get back, those players. I mean, Emmy Martinez, the first Aston Villa player to ever play in, in the World Cup final. What kind of reaction is he going to come back to? I mean, you just wonder. Yeah, they, they will have to be a period, I think, for the, for the players who went deep into the World Cup. Um, and maybe for somebody like Harry Kane as well to try to readjust and 
get their head around playing in the Premier League again uh, and in domestic football. Yeah, that was always going to be a bit of an issue and it'll be fascinating to see how that just plays out. But United are going to take this seriously. We're here, Stevie, obviously taking on top of the table Burnley. Mm -hmm. They're only really missing a couple of key players. Mm. Apart from that, you're talking a proper squad to choose from. I, I think all the teams will be, will be playing the best side they can. Right. Get going. Get going. Get back on the horse. 100%. You know, it's, it's the second half of the season. Um, and the majority of teams can't afford to start the season not winning. Uh, and to do that, they need the players at a certain level of, of physical fitness. Um, and so these games are actually going to be perfect, I think, for teams to, to get their main men uh, back up to where they should be. So I expect every single one of these teams to play the best side that they have available. From a player's perspective, would you prefer a break to dwell on everything or recover or just to get straight back into it? Well, the majority of these players actually have been done with the World Cup for a yeah. couple of weeks already. Uh, I think whatever work you are going to do with the players in terms of that recovery, in terms of that mental rest, if you will, would have happened in those couple of weeks. And now it's a decision as to how much you want to push if you're a manager. Now, those in the Premier League don't really have much of a decision to make because you have the Carabao Cup and then you have Boxing Day coming right around the corner. And so, therefore, I think whatever best group available you put out on the field but you don't take unnecessary risk. You don't take unnecessary chances. You have to look at the big picture and what the big picture is for your individual club. From the player's perspective, if you had a successful World Cup and a deep run, it's going to take some time yeah. for you to digest, process all of that, and actually, and I, and I say this very carefully, to care about playing your club matches. Because... All your energy, physically and mentally, and all your focus was on delivering something for your country. Flipping that switch, turning right back around and saying, well, now I'm into this. I was just playing a semifinal. I was just playing a quarterfinal. Let me turn right back around and say, now I'm into this. Now I'm into the Carabao Cup. Now I'm into boxing. They that is easier said than done. One would think that would happen automatically. It doesn't. And so with those players, I would be very, very careful. We'll be talking about that, of course, more. Sorry, Stevie. Uh, through, throughout the week. That's enough, Stevie. Just That's enough. Like, yeah. Yeah. Take that custard yeah. pie off your face. Yeah. <laughs> uh, just a reminder, it's not only the cup competition that returns in England, but in Spain as well. A whole host of matches taking place over the next three days, all of them available on ESPN+. Then it's Christmas, and then La Liga returns for the last weekend before uh, the new year. You've got likes of Barcelona against Espanyol, Villarreal against Valencia, and Valladolid taking on Real Madrid. All of these games available on ESPN+. Hi, this is ESPN's Mike Greenberg, and ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sports book of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today, and new users get $100 in bonus bets for making any sports book bet. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. 
Tired of ads interrupting your favorite sports podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music, included with your Prime membership. Amazon Music offers the most ad-free top podcasts. Enjoy shows like First Take, Pardon the Interruption, and The Low Post, available ad-free and uninterrupted. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app or go to Amazon.com slash ESPN Pods. That's Amazon.com slash ESPN Pods to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Uh, this is surprise me actually. This is France tonight. This is in Paris. Fifty thousand fans turning turning up to. Oh, well, what do you mean? That's quite a lot. <laughs> well, yes, compared to what we've just seen in Argentina, but it's quite a nice reception, isn't it? I personally I thought it'd be more than that. All right, I, I thought it was just a nice thing. <laughs> no, it's a nice thing. You, know, you won the World Cup last year, and you get to the final. I'm sorry you said the wrong thing. No, you didn't, no, you didn't, you didn't want to hear. No, no, it's not. I thought there'd be more than that. I no, oh, really? Did. Well, I, I would think that the outpouring of affection for a side that basically had half its team missing, if you look at it, then I, I would have thought more people would have turned up to oh. welcome them home. Right. I, I, I'm really, I am surprised that there was only 50,000. Oh, there you go. Did it surprise you, Ian? I didn't know this was going to be a discussion, but there we are. <laughs> well, I, I, I wasn't going to do a count, really, of exactly how many people <laughs> would turn up to say to the runners-up, well, well done for getting to the final. I guess if you won it four years ago, um, it's not quite as big a deal, is it, I suppose, to... to so the French are blase. Oh well, I know. I blase. It was Jules. I, I bet, bet Jules never told. I about. bet Jules was there. Frank uh, definitely wasn't there. Yeah. I think the reception would have been different had the game ended in the direction in which it was going. So two 0 No one's turning up. Well, <laughs> I'm merely suggesting that perhaps the feeling wouldn't be as positive as this was. Yes, because you can make the argument of the fight and the character that this team showed, showed and killing Mbappe and what the future holds for France because that's another part of the conversation here. The future of the French national team is just ridiculous. Well, we know one more thing about the, the future of the French national team. It will not involve Karim Benzema oh, no. as he, he announced his retirement from international football. Of course, we drew for the squad because of injury or we sent home from the squad because of it, however you want to interpret that. Um, Ian, what do you make of it all, of the Benzema situation? Well, it was quite cryptic, wasn't it? His comment today, uh, ending his international career. I think he's a little bit sad, but, you know, he's got to 35 years of age, I think it is now. I think he was 35 on the day of the final, wasn't he? Um, so, I mean, he's been in terrific form. I'm, what a shame he was injured, really, and couldn't play at the World Cup. But it has been um, a career with a lot of twists and turns, hasn't it? But great player would they have won it with him wow what a conversation that is well, it, it gives them another option in the attack that's for certain but does that force killing Mbappe to get himself in more defensive positions does that mean that they would have defended better through the midfield but what you have with Karim Benzema is a guy who you know in a special moment can deliver a goal but you look at Giroud and he's breaking records from the French national team. So I don't, honestly, it would be easy to say, yeah, sure, they would have won it. I think the right team won this competition. Yeah, you can't. You can't think that. It's impossible to turn around and say that he would have made the difference between winning and losing the World Cup. You right. can't. You can't. Yeah, you agree, Ian? 
Yeah, I agree with the guys with that. I mean, the guy that replaced him was Giroud. And Giroud came up with four goals. OK, it didn't work for him in the final, but it didn't work for any of the others in the final as well. Uh, just a reminder, despite the fact the World Cup is over, ESPN FC with you every single day. Craig yeah. Burley returns tomorrow. Hey, hey. Anyone else on, Pete? Anyone? No? Right, oh. OK. Uh, oh, Stevie's here as well. Hey. Getting mentally prepared. Very stressful. That is it. That brings us to the end of today's show. Uh, thank you for watching. Be sure to stay tuned, though, as Extra Time is next. Quite the mix of questions, I can tell you, to come. FC Extra Time is brought to you by Globans. Hello and welcome into the studio. Lots to talk about uh -huh. before we get to the questions. Ali's here, Steve is here, as is Ian. Ian, what is that behind you? And we're not talking <laughs> curtains this time. Well, I don't know, I don't know if you'd heard, uh, Dan, but it's Christmas coming right. up. So that, I'm told, and now I didn't buy this. This is a part of Christmas. <laughs> All right, it looks like a vagrant Father Christmas. It is Father Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> see, we can only see it from beard down. Oh, yeah, yeah, we can't see we, the head. We can't, we can't no, see the not. head. Can you we've, show we've had can you, better decorations, let's put it that way. <laughs> can you bring it down for us, Ian, or will that cause a problem? Uh, might cause a problem, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And you're going to get the ladders and... It could cause an international incident. <laughs> yeah. The lack of commitment, Ian. Oh, lack of commitment. Ian, were they laughing at my decorations? How <laughs> oh, dare they? Yeah. Uh, and uh, they could say, look at ours, to be fair. <laughs> I think it's still... Yeah, exactly. What did your missus call you? Did she call you Ian? Did she call you something up? Well, yes. Yeah, well, well, what do you wasn't. think she should call me, Stevie? <laughs> <laughs> no, well, well my, my mate Stephen Miles, his wife calls him Milesy. Right. Really? So I just wonder whether... Okay. Because we all call you Darkie, yeah. so maybe she would call you Darkie. Yeah. Denise calls no. me different things. Broadcastable. Very little. She calls me Scott call you. This is your last show before you're on Christmas break? Oh. What? Yeah. What's Where the plan? Going? Uh, the plan is very much staying at home. Oh, nice. Yes. Very so good. My parents are coming to visit. Beautiful. Uh, very yeah. good. And that means that also my sister and her family are coming over. So it will be... A I wish you were a parachute to get out of the house for a bit. The dogs. But Surely the dogs. Probably the dog, well, you got to walk the dogs. i got to walk the dogs endlessly. Yes. <laughs> exactly. Keep them out of it. And I'm doing something tonight that you hate, Stevie. What? It involves volcanoes. Oh no. Yes! Apache. Apache tonight. Yes. Take the kids out. <laughs> oh. The kids are not fed up with that yet. No, they love it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, once you've, once you've been once, that's it. <laughs> that's it. See the volcano one. <laughs> that's, that's it. One Hibachi, I've seen all Hibachi. It's all done. And when does your Christmas break start? Uh, mine starts on Wednesday. Okay, and what coach are you going to take? Because the temperature's different. In yeah, well, I, I, we've, we've yet to figure out a retire for the trip. Wow, okay. Yeah. Well, that'll take long discussions. time to figure it out. What's made this year's World Cup better? Was it the timing of it, where the players are at the peak of their fitness levels, as opposed to the Summer World Cup before, where a lot of games have been a cagey affair? Ian, what's your take on this? I think the timing uh, was pretty good because I think a lot of the players, you know, they hadn't just finished a 60-game, 70-game season. So, yeah, they were fresher. So I think in that regard, that was probably one reason. I think, too, the teams played with a bit more of a freedom and a bit less fear than we've seen uh, at other World Cups. And 
I think from that point of view, and, and you'd have to say too that the climate was was nice to play in. Really, at that time of year in Qatar, it was about seventy five, seventy three. There was air conditioning in the stadiums as well. So. Add those factors together, and, and you've got quite a good festival of football. But you know, it it wasn't a better World Cup, I don't think, than the one in Russia. I think we've forgotten that that was a really good World Cup too in the summer. We'll talk more about your World Cup experience a bit a bit later. It's going to be hot, isn't it? Mm. In the US, what four years time? Uh, mm. Yes, it is. <laughs> yeah, mm, no, none of this air conditioning. Ooh. No, uh, no, no, no. Do you remember the Irish? Uh, yes, yeah, 94. <laughs> Mind you, Mexico 86, Steve, you and your oh, sun cream. Seriously. <laughs> Desperate. What do you think, Stevie, about Emmy Martinez's tactics during the penalty shootout? As a goalkeeper, shouldn't he do everything possible within the laws to keep the opponent from scoring? He did exactly what he should do. Right. He, so kicking the ball away pushed. from Chouameni is is fine. As long as you don't get sent off, then do what you need to do. Right. I, I really don't care. Okay. I honestly don't care. You, so you why need to push the boundaries as far as you can in order to get yourself an edge. Now, whether you get an edge or not is... I mean, think of any who actually missed his penalty. I don't honestly think he was perturbed by what M. Martinez did. Do you not think so? I don't think so, no. No, when he, when he, when he went to get the ball, you could see in his face that he thought it was quite funny. So okay. I, I loved his attitude about it. Right, and then he put it wide. But he put it wide. Right. But that's, I mean, you can't turn around and say it was because of Amy Martinez kicking the ball away. I just think that you do exactly what you can and need to do and push the boundaries without getting yourself in trouble. Could you have coached Hugo Lloris to have done more of that? Or is it something that just instinctively happens? I, I think it's the personality of the right. goalkeeper. Definitely, personality of the goalkeeper. So then would you be disappointed that Hugo Lloris didn't do anything? In that sense, I would be disappointed in myself that I didn't change the goalkeeper. Right, and that's knowing what you're during the show. You yeah, would knowing the situation where you've got a guy who, I said it during the show, you look at Emmy Martinez in the goal, he looks huge. His eyes are staring at you. Right. All the stuff he's done with throwing the ball, he's, he's done everything he can to put you off. And the key as well, he knows that he can save penalties. Right. And the guy taking the penalty knows it's going to have to be a good penalty because this guy saves penalties. So why is you it... You switch that round to Hugo Lloris and you're taking the penalty going, well, this is going to have to be really bad because this guy couldn't save a penalty if you told him where it was going. Why is it OK then for Emi Martinez to push the boundaries as much as he did? And, for example, maybe, I don't know, a gentleman sat next to you diving is something that Wait, really gets easy, up your nose more. Easy. Ali, did you ever get sent off for diving? I did not. So you don't have a problem with diving? If he was on my team right. and he was getting me fouls by his nonsense, yeah. <laughs> I would be more than happy with it. I would be, I'd be more than happy with it. Right, it's just when someone does it. Yeah, it's when it's, it's when it's on the other side, then it's the problem. Right. Can I, and, and I'm just going to cross over sports here for a second. Oh. I, I look at uh, Emiliano Martinez and he reminds me of a basketball player back in the day, Dennis Rodman. Right. That was that guy, the anti-hero. The guy who thrived in that environment of making everybody else around him uncomfortable. And the one thing that you want to do in a penalty kick shootout is make everybody around you uncomfortable. And that's exactly what he does. He makes you uncomfortable. They know he's good at it. He knows he's good at it. That brings even more pressure. And, and, and so now you have to deliver. The moment itself has pressure. But now you have this guy in front of you 
who's already beaten you, who's already in your head, who has you in his pocket, makes it all that more difficult to score. After seeing all the videos of the celebrations from Argentina, which celebration parade did you enjoy most when you played? Uh, Dan and Ian, do you have a favourite celebration parade that you covered? Uh, Steve, you write quite about this in your book, by the way. Good, good Christmas present. Aye. Five league titles and a packet of crisps. Yep. They're <laughs> <laughs> uh, my favourite one. I don't... I think the last one's always the favourite one because it kind of sticks in your memory. Yeah, it's the FA Cup, would that be? FA Cup. Really? Yeah. Yeah. I mean... <laughs> well, at the time, it's very difficult to understand how fortunate and to be able to enjoy it. Because, you know, you've had a night out, you're probably having a few beers as well, and, you know, everybody's there. Never has the word probably like, been used. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, the stupid yeah. thing is, you're, probably. <laughs> you're talking about two, three hundred thousand people. Yeah. And then the year we, the year we did the double with both Everton and Liverpool fans, there was half a million people in Liverpool centre. But at the time, it's very difficult to take it in and enjoy it. And it's not until later on that I actually... Was I able to think about it and think... What time period wow. is that? Is that like later on in the day? Like, when you, you retire? Just, when, when is it that you kind of look back and think... No, it was a bit... It was a... When you finish playing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. When I finish playing, then, then you have time to sit down and think about stuff. Right. And then you start thinking about... Wow, who gets to do that? Yeah. How many people have half a million people turning up to wave in front and say thank you? I mean, special, Steve. Really special. Yeah. Incredible. Similar with Columbus? Well, perhaps not with Columbus, although we did have a celebration in front of City Hall a couple of times. Yes. And uh, as well as with Houston in front of City Hall. But 2011 Copa America. Going back to Venezuela. Ah. Now, just remind me, how far did you get in the tournament? Semi-finals. Right. Best that we've ever done. Yes. And you don't realize how many people you are touching with this performance. How many people, how people's life you're affecting while you're in it. You hear things, but you don't quite know it. And then you show up to the celebration and it's intimidating. I mean, we're talking seas of people who just wanted to be there to... They, they, they were never going to get close to us, but just wanted to be part of the moment and part of the experience. It's very overwhelming, actually. What was it like then to go from that then back to, to MLS? Because that, that must have been difficult. Absolutely. And it's part of what I was talking about in the show that... So you go into semifinals of Copa America, right? And, and you, know, you know you're making history. You know this is as far as you've gotten as a country. And you're thinking about the possibility of winning. You lose the semifinal and penalties in a game that we were better than Paraguay. And now you go home, you get this celebration, and somehow you have to get in a plane and play on a Saturday. Man, I just didn't have it. Yeah. I, 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 you try to turn on the engines and your body's telling you, what? Right. Are, you, are you kidding me? <laughs> You, you, your mind is telling you you shouldn't be there. Your body's telling you you shouldn't be there. You should be playing the finals. You're not. There's all these things that come into it. And, and while you think that you're going to do your best, it's nearly impossible. Like mentally, then, how do you deal with that over time? Because I would just be like, oh, God. Well, uh. and, and, and that's the easy reaction. And that's a natural reaction. Even more so when, let me remind you, unless just in case you didn't, you needed some reminding. We weren't very good right? with Chivas USA. Oh, okay. We were terrible. Right. So imagine going from the highs of 
where I was the week before, just a couple of days ago, and where I am now and having to play and play well so that maybe we get a chance to get a draw away from home. Right. It's a drop of his steep, and I mean it's steep. Yeah, I bet. I that's, bet. that's when you need Ronnie Moran. Right. Ronnie Moran was, of course, the assistant. Ronnie Moran was the assistant, assistant coach, at coach at Liverpool. Liverpool for 40 years. And whenever we went away in international duty during the week, because right. every one of our team was an international. Yep. England, Scotland, yep. Wales, you name it. And on the Friday, as soon as you walk through the door, because it's the same thing, we're playing Stoke away, which is their cup final. Yes. This is a cup final. They've got, they've got the defending champions, the big boys, Liverpool's coming to town. It's a cup final for them. But yet we've been away all week, we've been travelling, some of us have won, some of us have lost. So on the Friday morning we'd walk in, the first thing you, Ronnie would say when you went through the doors, he'd go, oh here's the big heads, right. <laughs> here's all the big kids, let's widen the door so we can get them all in. Right, so immediately. And it was just immediately, he was giving you that. Yes. And if you, if, you, if you did something wrong, he'd be like, yeah. oh, we're, we're, are you still on the plane? Right. Do you want to go back to the airport? Right. I mean, just... Wow. Straight away to yeah. try and not. And no, it didn't. It didn't always work, but it, it certainly pushed you towards because you knew when the whistle went, you better have been at it. Was that the welcome you got from Mrs. Dark when you returned from the World Cup? <laughs> <laughs> I, I was about to say to you that um, being English, I've never been at any celebrations. <laughs> it was 1966, but the, the one I do remember. Uh, I went to the France-Brazil 1998 final, and the only way back into the centre of Paris was on the, the subway train, and it was a wonderful experience because it was jam-packed, and the entire carriage was belting out the Marseillaise, you know, the national anthem of France, and, and you felt like joining in, joining in. I mean, it is a, it is a wild feeling, and I bet it would be fantastic to be in Buenos Aires now and be around people and seeing how happy a football match can make them. Ian, how did this World Cup compare to your prior experiences, food, fans, venues, etc.? Well, the best thing from our point of view, really, um, leaving aside all the controversy over the, over the politics and that, covering this World Cup was, was much easier because it was never more than 40 minutes to go to any of the stadiums. We were usually back in our hotel an hour after the end of the game. Um, the roads were great. The driving was awful. But uh, we, were, we were lucky to get there and back some days because the way people change lanes every... 10 yards <laughs> out there was uh, was put you on the edge of your seat at times but um, yeah it was a good experience I mean the climate was wonderful here we are in the middle of winter so but we could sit around in our in our shorts um, and I think that was another reason maybe too that the games were good that the, the teams didn't have to do a lot of traveling like they did say in Russia where they were getting on airplanes every couple of days as well so speak as you find as, a, as an experience to cover, it, it was a privilege and a pleasure. Which Premier League team, Steve, will benefit the most from the World Cup break, given the top-tier teams of the deepest pools? Any thoughts? Well, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to think who, who had the least amount of players. Well, you talk, again, if you go down the big boys, City, who, who did City have like, when, went far? Not that many players. Your boys? 
Not that many players. Oh, man. Arsenal, Gabriel Jesus, obviously a massive blow. So I guess I, I guess it'll I guess there's not an obvious answer then that there's one team that will benefit more than others. I guess it'll depend on the mentality of the players. All the stuff we were talking about earlier. Uh, it will depend on the mentality of the players. Obviously, I'm talking about Ronnie Moran. It depends who they have there who will be right. getting them back into the sort of mental shape and back into the routines and and all of those things. So. I guess for once, the coaching staff and the staff behind the scenes, this will be down to how they figured out how to get the players back on an even keel. Ian, it's interesting we spoke about it on a player's perspective, but almost from a, from a working perspective as well. Of course, you'll be commentating games like, what's your next commentary? You go from like knockout stage of the World Cup to that. Yeah. Well, my next game is going to be Crystal Palace against Fulham. And Crystal Palace are interesting because they've only had a couple of players away and they were quickly knocked out as well. So they've played about four friendlies already. They've been to Turkey, played three games there. Then they played Napoli, I think, as well. So they'll be well up to speed. Watch them. Um, Fulham had six away, you know, a lot more. So maybe there's a little bit of an advantage for some teams over another when... uh, the action resumes. I mean, just thinking of the big teams, Liverpool had a lot uh, less players, didn't they? This time, Stevie, going away than you would have normally thought when you came to a World Cup. I think Manchester City, the figure was 15, and Chelsea had a lot away as well. For all, how will getting subbed off before the halftime whistle in a World Cup final affect Giroud and Dembele going for the rest of the season? Uh, I don't think it would affect Giroud all that much. A veteran player who has been through all sorts of different scenarios in his uh, career. Obviously, this is extreme. For Dembele, different story. Yeah. One he had things, a shocker, didn't he? Yes, and, and you knew if very early on that he was having difficulties with his confidence. And he's a player that thrives or fails given his confidence. You see it in Barcelona. One weekend, in fact, one half he looks outstanding and then the next half he cannot kick a ball. And that's how his game varies. So when you have that difference and, and, and you have that contrast naturally as part of your game, imagine when you add this to the equation. Depends of how much he internalizes this as a personal failure and depends as to how much he uses it to push himself as something that can motivate him into the future. How he takes it, how he digests information, how he processes this failure is going to be, it's going to go a long way in determining what happens with him in the future. Stevie, with Liverpool linked to a number of World Cup standouts, who do you think they should go for? Uh, well, I think I think if if Amrabat is available, yeah, because I think no question Liverpool need bulking up in the middle of the park. Yeah, he would be absolutely fantastic. I wouldn't mind his partner in the middle either. Unuhi is it Unuhi? Onahi. Yeah, I mean the Bellingham one obviously would be great, but I don't see that happening anytime soon. Wouldn't it be a good idea, Stevie, to shift post-game penalties to any spot? Shooter's choice within the penalty arc adds drama, requires placement skill, and provides keepers with a better chance than just guessing. Everybody loves a free kick goal from distance. (laughs) So anywhere on the penalty arc, you can put the ball, and then that's where you're taking it from. Is there something wrong with what we do now? 
Uh, well, yeah. maybe gives goalkeepers more of a chance. Well, why would we want to do that? I don't know. This is what Stallion is suggesting. Yeah. Not, no, listen, it's, it's hard enough <laughs> taking a penalty in a pressure situation from, right. the, from the penalty spot without taking it further out. Okay. Yeah. You know, the, one of the reasons I think the penalty shootouts are so compelling is generally it just takes one guy to miss. Right. And it's kind of... We're all sitting going, who's it going to be? Yeah. The further out you start taking the ball, it starts going the other way. It's like, who's going to score? The final didn't go to the fifth penalty take, did it? I said, generally, smarty <laughs> pants. <laughs> what, what was your percentage? I actually said, what was your made I actually said generally, for a very good reason. <laughs> because I knew there was a certain smart alley. What was his name on that? <laughs> Was that about again? That was about um, penalty shootouts going to the final taker. Ah, Remember, we were discussing Neymar. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I checked it. I was. I was right. You were definitely not right. And how on earth would you check that, <laughs> <laughs> Eleanor? <laughs> I guess. <laughs> the great thing about that is that it was also in 92 and then said, the variance is, well, it could be 93. Uh, 92 well, or 93. We do, we do like the World Cup. We know how to get, we get an animal to pick the... Yes. That's what we do. We got haggis to get a, to get a, an arrow and hit it. And we'll see where it, <laughs> it went in 90. That's how we picked it. Right, Steve. <laughs> Good job, Stevie. <laughs> For all, Stevie is the only one who makes sense. When he criticizes oh, do. I'll when, go there. <laughs> when he criticizes Ronaldo, gives credit when it's due and criticizes it when it's due. Maybe you should all learn from him. Yes. Oh, not Ian. But in parentheses. Right. So really, this is at you, <laughs> Alan. <laughs> right. That, are you, I, I'm sorry. Where, where is the question? Uh, thought, the question is, when are you going to learn from Stevie? Yeah. Is that what his question is? Yes. No, no. Is that what he's writing? Maybe you should all learn from him. Where is the question? Mark. Well, that's it. See, the first thing you have to do is listen. <laughs> That's the first step. Right. You are the only one who makes there sense. There you are, you see? What you need is an oh, arrow. Right. Help. Just yes. right. Can we bring There's your no dog? I'm just trying to right. help you. Oh. What chance have you got in here? You're trying to help people. You, you are the only you one who thrown, makes sense. It's thrown back in your face. I do like the parole, well, well, not Stevie and not Ian. So, it's me. I'm the problem. Yeah. I feel like I'm the problem. Anti-Ronaldo, is that, is that what I do? You hate Ronaldo. Yeah, you Come hate on. him. Sing- You're always saying that. So negative, right? So, you're so negative. Saying that, I, I know, I know. I know. I know. Such a, I'm, I'm such a cynic. Yes, very much so. What did you ever do? And that, you know what? And I don't appreciate his greatness at all. No, not at all. Not at all. You always say he never made it to a Copa America semi-final. Did he? No, no, no you don't. Take that. No, he didn't. <laughs> <laughs> take that, Ronaldo. <laughs> Uh, Ian, we'll leave you to it. If we don't speak to you before, happy holidays to you and your interesting-looking Santa. Uh, we will be back uh, tomorrow, of course. Ali, enjoy your break well, as you, well. Man. I'm sure it'll be very calm and peaceful in the Moreno house. Yes. A <laughs> lot, lot of dog walks. <laughs> Stevie will be back with Craig and Jules uh, tomorrow. Oh, that's Be sure too. to join us. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate is to not search at all. Don't search. Match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. 
And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com FC. Just go to Indeed.com FC right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com FC. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. 